This week on Board Chitless, we're lucky enough to be talking to Caleb Grace. Caleb is currently the lead developer of Lord of the Rings The Card Game at Fantasy Flight Games. So, Caleb, could you give us some background information on your gaming interest and what led you to board game design in the first place? Yeah, it's all just good luck that I got uh, into uh, board game design at all. It wasn't necessarily something that I was pursuing. Uh, instead, uh, my, my background is in education. I uh, worked as a teacher and a youth pastor and ended up um, being let go in the, in the spring and looking for work. And it just turned out that uh, my brother was working at Fantasy Flight Games, and he made me aware of uh, an opening. And uh, Fantasy Flight was the only place to call me back of, like, the other 15, 16 places I applied to. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah so I kind of I kind of just uh, just lucked into into the job uh, as, as it worked out. So I'm, I'm really happy for the for how it all came together. Talking about your work at, at Fantasy Flight, you've developed an, like an astonishing portfolio of scenarios for the Lord of the Rings, the card game. How does it feel to be able to work within that property? Have you always been a, a Tolkien fan? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Tolkien, uh, the Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, The Silmarillion, these are my favorite books that I I just keep rereading them. Um, as, as a kid, The Hobbit was like the first book that I picked up on my own. Uh, and I remember just, uh, I liked the cover art. Uh, found in my school library in like the third grade and and I read it and I was just amazed there were giant spiders that talked and that was terrifying and and then of course there was a dragon and a hero who shot a magic arrow and I mean I was hooked and I think I read it I think I read it like five times almost back to back because I didn't know that there were books that came after (laughs) so you know as a kid right like I just kind of kept it to myself here's this thing that I love and uh, and I remember eventually talking to my uncle about it, and he was like, "Well, have you read the the, the trilogy? You know, the Lord of the Rings." I was like, "There's more." <laughs> so I, I gobbled that up, and then I found out about the Silmarillion and, and read that as well. And, uh, so I've been a fan uh, for almost my entire life, and it's very near and dear to me. So being able to work within that property is just fantastic. Like I look forward to coming to work every day for that reason. Brilliant. It, it's interesting you say that, actually. The Hobbit is the book that pretty much taught me to read. My mum used to read it to me as a bedtime story, and she said um, yeah. once I got to a certain age, like five or six years old, I used to take the book off her because she wasn't reading it quickly enough for me. And, uh, so, uh, and I used to want to read it faster, so um, that's kind of what got me into it as well. But in, in terms of like the, the Tolkien lore, obviously it's uh, some people are quite reverent about it, I guess. Uh, how intensive is researching the Tolkien law for, for the Lord of the Rings, the card game. Could you talk to us more about that sort of aspect of the game's development? I know you obviously read the books yourselves a lot, but um, how sort of, I guess, how reverent do you have to be to the source material when you're developing the new scenarios for it? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's interesting too, because I would say that I'm, I'm something of a purist that uh, to me, um, what Tolkien wrote, the lore, you know, the original stories, it's almost sacred. Like, you know, uh, any movie adaptation that was ever going to be made was almost certainly not going to be good enough for me because they would inevitably have to make changes and that would be hard for me to take. Yeah. So it's funny. It's funny me saying that now, because, of course, when you're designing a game, you have to take liberties because ultimately what you're designing is not just a retelling of the story. What you're designing is a game. And so you have to put uh, coming up with something new and exciting and fun 
slightly ahead of staying 100 percent uh true to the to the lore so it's it's this delicate uh tightrope walk of of bending the lore without breaking it yeah uh, so we we've definitely taken liberties um inventing creatures and places things and times that that didn't really happen and and probably never could um but always we're really trying to stay within the spirit of what is at least possible yeah um hopefully that comes across when when people uh, you know other diehard fans like myself out there when they when they read the stories or they play the scenarios hopefully they go okay you know i I see what they're doing here and i see how they're you know they're drawing from something that that does exist and they're extrapolating a little bit you know i'm trying to be respectful like it's really important to me that other other diehard fans (laughs) can tell that we're we're really trying to be respectful of of the ip yeah i mean that's the reason i asked the question to be honest i think that comes across hugely in the game i'm obviously a a massive fan of the lord of the rings card game itself and um i think you guys nailed it in that respect in fact it always surprises me how you're able to come up with the new cycles you know and sort of continue within the the same milieu but also also reinvent the game each time as it were um in in terms of doing that and, and creating these scenarios what motivates you to design the new cycles of lord of the rings yeah there's kind of there's kind of two two different things in there like one uh, like as for how we plan a new cycle i think is is it's linked but not necessarily caused by what motivates us if that makes sense so like when we, when we plan a cycle we basically just look at the map of middle earth and we say, where do we want to go to next? <laughs> and as, as such a fan, it's like, well, I want to go everywhere. So um, we, we basically, we, we pick like, okay, we're, we're going to go here next. And then from there, it gets more into the question of what motivates us, which is ultimately to tell a good story that's engaging to people where yes. they feel like they've been able to go on this adventure with the heroes and explore more of Middle Earth and, and really be drawn into uh, that world. So what motivates us in that sense is like just getting the most that we can out of whatever area of Middle Earth that we have chosen to tap into. Awesome. Um, I, I, well, I think with some cycles, like there's some real low-hanging fruit, like some real obvious stuff. Like if we're going to do a set in Gondor, we're going to go to Minas Tirith, you know, and, yeah. and we're going to visit Osgiliath. And then, and then it gets a little more high level when you start going, okay, why are we going to all these different places? What, what connects the dots? Yeah. to get us from A to B to C. And that's where it gets really interesting. That's probably the hardest and most rewarding part of the job is trying to craft a story that feels a little better than fan fiction, you know, that elevates <laughs> yeah. it. So that, you know, hopefully we introduce some characters that people can relate to and, and uh, identify with or, or at least be interested in enough to want to follow them to find out what happens. Have you got like a favorite cycle that you've worked on that, that you found uh, either the most interesting or the most challenging? Oh, that's, that's hard. Yeah. I always get that question. I feel like, uh, like whenever I ask my son what his favorite movie is, it's whatever movie he saw last, you know? <laughs> so I'm kind of that same way with cycles. It's like, well, whatever <laughs> I've worked on most recently is what I'm most excited about. Um, I think I like them all for different reasons. Uh, the Lost Realm was incredibly fun for me to work on, uh, yeah. just because that was um, that was only the second regular deluxe box that I that I designed by myself. The first one being the Voice of Isengard, 
And the voice of Isengard had a whole interesting story behind it, how it was originally going to be something slightly different, and then it kind of got changed toward the end. So I think the Lost Realm was the first one where the vision carried through from start to finish, and I was really happy with how that turned out and the being able to uh, explore the Dunedain and the rangers of the north and that culture is something growing up those were my favorite characters I loved Aragorn I always wanted to know more about his people like when the Grey Company shows up toward uh, you know the return of the king I just thought it was like oh my gosh 40 more of Aragorn's bros like they're unstoppable <laughs> cool. uh, so it was kind of fun to get into that uh, but I have to say like as far as actual story writing um, I think the Harad cycle is is my favorite that I've written uh, just because going so far off the grid into a part of Middle-earth where there's very little described by Tolkien, there's a lot more freedom to to create, but also with that a little more pressure to like come up with something good. Yeah. There was less low-hanging fruit, and it was more like, okay, come up with a compelling reason for why we're here and what we're doing and and I like to think that we rose to the task and um, coming up with characters like Khalil and his tribe of Haradrim and giving them a believable reason to want to help the heroes and, and escape to Gondor. Um, all of that, like there's uh, that the whole story. Hopefully at the end of it, players will feel the same way too, that, that it's uh, maybe, maybe the most engaging story so far. It's interesting as well, um, what you were saying, just going back to the um, bit about the Dunedain, I always felt more empathetic with Aragorn than the Hobbits. Probably not a very popular opinion, to be honest, but I always thought he was the coolest character, you know, the ranger coming in to save the day. As far back as watching the Ralph Bakshi movie as a kid, you know, and John Hurt's representation of Aragorn was like, he's always been my number one hero in in history. I really I really like his uh their rendition in, in the in the animated movie. I really like how Aragorn comes across. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's sort of an aspect of danger, isn't there? That you know that that's not really present in the movies as much. Then at first certainly you're not sure whether to trust yeah, him. Yeah, that first introduction is really intimidating. But then also it's just that nobility of yes. like I, I always remember the scene outside of uh they're they're debating about whether or not to go into Moria. And Gandalf's all for it, and Aragorn just kind of like even points at him. He's like, you know, I say this to you, Gandalf. You know, if you enter Moria, beware. And you're like, man, who is this guy? Like telling Gandalf. <laughs> so when you when you're talking about like designing these scenarios and getting into the nitty gritty of it, I, I think perhaps a lot of our listeners would think work. That's not even work. You know, that's something that I'd love to do. So <laughs> could you describe what it's like working at Fantasy Flight? Describe a day in your life in um, sure. at Fantasy Flight Games. Well, I, I will preface by saying, like, I'm, I'm absolutely sincere when I say that I, I look forward to coming to work every day. And, and I've had, I've had a lot of jobs that were good jobs that I was, uh, I felt what I did was worthwhile, and, you know, that I enjoyed. But this is the only job I've ever had where it really is like, you know, just exciting to come every day. You know, I get to work on my favorite IP. I get to work alongside fantastic people. And the game that I get to design for is is a game that I was a fan of before I even started. So that's kind of like a dream come true as well. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is like, yes, it's it's work, uh, but it's really fun work most of the time. There is some, some nitty-gritty we have to get into that, you know, uh, takes some of the uh, the shine away from it, you know. 
But uh, so my average day is is basically uh, just get to the office and sit at my desk and and uh, on my computer is uh, you know a, a database where I um, enter in all of my uh, my card text, my card ideas, and and from there I can export it to a, a PDF and print it up, cut it out with scissors, just like you know the skills I learned in kindergarten, <laughs> staples, you know, and uh, I put them to good use. <laughs> Yeah, I can. Then I, it, it is kind of this fun thing. I mean, it doesn't all happen in a day like that. You know, it, it takes a lot of planning to come up with. Like I said, like that story outline. That's really the the first thing we do is really try to come up with a, a compelling story, and um, it kind of goes hand in hand with with looking at the map and picking out all the spots we want to go. It's sort of like, well, we want to go here. Let's come up with a reason to go there. All right, why are we there? Okay, where do we want to go next? And then coming up with a reason for that. And sometimes we'll be like, I really want the story to take this twist. Okay, we could do that here. And eventually, once I've got it all kind of mapped out, then the next step is like, you know, ultimately every cycle is a, a box of three adventures and then six packs to follow. So it's a nine-part story. Yeah. And once I've got once I've got sort of the nine parts figured out, then I look at them and go, okay, what is each scenario mechanically going to be about? Just so, you know, they can't all be the same. That would be kind of pointless. So trying to come up with a different kind of hook for all nine of those scenarios so that each one is sort of like, you know, this is the one where you're guarding the guy. And this is the one where you got to find the thing. And this is the one where you got to kill the beast. And um, and then once we have that, that's when I get into the, the actual database and I start tackling them one at a time, starting with scenario one. I really like to work linear. I don't. I don't often skip ahead to the end. I, I I sort of design them like number one, and when I'm done with number one, I'll move on yeah. to number two. I guess that helps sort of developing the story in your head, getting the, the facts straight in the order correct. Yeah. Well, and the other thing, too, is uh, like designing a box is actually, I think, a lot more difficult than designing the cycle, just in that when you're designing the box, you have to also keep the cycle in mind because you're designing the uh, – the different encounter sets that will get reused throughout the cycle. Yeah, you're going to be getting so a lot of a, mileage out of that same set, right? Yeah, so there's a lot of little considerations that just, you know, complicate the process as you go that you're like, oh, you know, you start to think, oh, I really want to do this this different adventure in the cycle now, which means I need to go back to the box and make some changes so that I can get the right kind of encounter cards I need. Um, so there, there's a lot of revisions that take place. Um, it's kind of fun if if I save them all, right, you know, if I save out, like, the first, say, like, um, Intruders and Chetwood from the Lost Realm, you know, I might save that out the first PDF, it was version one, and then play it, and I go, well, that's garbage, I need to, you know, <laughs> fix this in, and I go, version two, and, you know, by the end of the testing, it might be up to, like, version seven, eight, or nine, you know? <laughs> wow, yeah. And every one of those, you know, I get to print and cut and sleep, a lot of kindergarten skills there. <laughs> Well, it's, it's an interesting insight into how deep it goes, you know, and how, how heavily you do have to play test these to get them into, you know, the state that's going to be, that the fans are going to enjoy and they're going to love. And, um, you know, as, as a play tester myself on the game, it was it was interesting to sort of peek behind the curtain and see how you guys did that. And I think it's a huge sort of endeavour that you go on to sort of develop them and develop the scenarios to such a, a higher level so that they're, uh, they're airtight when they go out and... and uh, and hit the market, oh, I wish basically. They, right? <laughs> I wish they were. It is, it is infuriating to me um, how many little mistakes still slip through. 
you know, uh, right. through all of the all of the iterations, all of the playtesters who look at it. Uh, we do our own internal card councils when when a set is wrapping up. Then I will invite Nate French, Matt Newman, a couple others, and we'll we'll sit in a room and we'll go through each card, you know, word by word. We will we will discuss the wording of this effect and we will look for you know uh, any kind of mistakes and discuss you know kind of the overall vision of the of the cycle and then from there it goes to a proofreader <laughs> you know <laughs> and uh, and from the proofreader it goes before our, our own uh, you know FFG studio committee and and despite all of those checks there's always always mistakes that get through it just kills me <laughs> well i think it's interesting you say that i think it was david fincher who said art is never finished it's only ever abandoned because you know you could uh, play test and play test until you're absolutely insane and you could spend years on it and never never actually finish it but at some point you have to draw a line under that and and yeah. accept that the project Deadline, is finished deadlines and... help you do that <laughs> <laughs> yeah i can imagine deadlines are really good for, for telling you <laughs> Well, of course, Fantasy, Fantasy Flight are very public about their, um, you know, the, the development schedule, aren't they? With um, you can go on on the website and see which games are on the boat and which ones are upcoming. So um, I guess you, you really have to hit those deadlines hard. I've never really had a problem with deadlines. Like they're they're there for a reason. You know, ultimately, we need to print these products and put them on sale to to keep the lights on in, in the office. You know, sure. so. Um, and, and I, I am just the kind of person that, like, I work better with a little bit of, uh, of a deadline as some kind of motivator. Otherwise, I might be tempted when, I, when I'm struggling with a design just to, like, put it down and walk away from it, you know, for a while. Yeah. Uh, whereas with a deadline, you just kind of have to soldier through and, and figure, okay, I, I need to come up with something. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes, yeah, sometimes that, that version one of whatever new scenario I'm working on it, it won't really be very good at all because I've honestly just slapped some ideas in there and put them to paper because I just need to play test it to get my brain going again, just to just kind of get started. And then I'll start to realize, oh, this isn't working at all because what I really need this card to do is something different. And then that can be a way to kind of jumpstart the program to, into moving forward again. Cool. Okay. Well, I mean, so far, Caleb, we've talked exclusively almost um, about Tolkien. And of course, Fantasy Flight sits on a lot of other epic and interesting IPs. Are there any others uh, outside of Tolkien? I know we've established what a huge fan you are, but are there any other IPs like Lovecraft or uh, Star Wars or any of the other ones that you'd uh, love to work on? Oh, yeah, that's that's interesting, because actually, when I interviewed um, for the first time was was long enough ago that they hadn't made it public yet that they had the Star Wars license. Uh, so I remember like signing the NDA before my interview, and then part of my interview was, was coming back and uh, joining uh, Lucas and Nate for like a game of the, the first draft of the Star Wars LCG. Yeah. You know, and I was being kind of like struck, by, like, oh, my gosh, you guys have Lord of the Rings and Star Wars, you know, because Star Wars was a, was a big one for me, uh, like growing up as a kid and especially in high school when they – re-released the original trilogy like the remastered footage yeah um i, I remember skipping school to go see the uh the first <laughs> <laughs> and i got caught that was the worst part <laughs> was your teacher in there busted. as well <laughs> oh no i got busted on tv it's it's kind of a, a fun story because uh, well, it was such happened? a big deal yeah it was such a big deal in in the town where i grew up in duluth um that the news camera like the the news crew showed up to the the movie theater and the first showing was like at noon 
And the doors weren't even open yet. So there was this long line of teenagers outside the door. Like, we were just all obviously <laughs> skipping school to be there. And the news crews came around and started, like, interviewing people and, you know, photographing the line. And my buddy got interviewed. Um, and I thought nothing of it. Like, I, I, I wasn't really paying attention to what they were doing. But later that day, you know, I saw the movie and then I got home about the same time I would, you know, after school. Yeah. And the phone rings, you know, it's my dad saying, so, hey, how was school today? And I was like, pretty good. Why? He says, you're grounded. <laughs> I said, what? He goes, he goes, have you seen the news? <laughs> so I turn it on and it's like, yeah, there the camera is like, you know, they're, they're saying like a whole crowd, you know, of, you know, people are here to see the new Star Wars movies and they're the cameras panning across the line. <laughs> And it's great because, like, all these kids are kind of doing this thing where they kind of cover their face and turn away, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then there's, like, in my letter jacket, like, with my name on it and everything, just standing there. <laughs> I didn't wave at the camera or anything, but I was just standing there. You might as well realize. <laughs> yeah. Life my lessons from Caleb Grace, ladies and gentlemen. Skipping school like a pro. <laughs> Well, the only the only bad part about being caught meant that I couldn't skip for the other two. Oh, class! So to wait till after school to see them. You know, and it was it was a very memorable viewing experience because there it was a whole theater full of Star Wars fans. So everybody was just like cheering at all the right moments, and when Leia gives like Luke a kiss for luck before they swing across, you know, yeah. someone yells out, "Dude, that's your sister!" <laughs> Brilliant. So yeah. I love the Star Wars IP, um, not as much anymore, I think, just uh, from getting a little burnt out on it. So I'm not necessarily, like, fighting to work on, on any of the games. I I, I really like uh, the new Destiny game. I, I collect it and play it myself, but yeah. I just don't have time to really be involved uh, with with anything else outside of Lord of the Rings. It's just uh, there's so many Lord of the Rings products that it just keeps me busy full time. Yeah, so, absolutely. The well, best I can do is, like, I, I go to the card councils for different projects. Like, I will join the guys for the Legend of the Five Rings card council or Game of Thrones is a, a game that I that I collect and play as well. So I try to help out where I can just to be a part of the team and, and stay connected with the other guys. But, yeah, Lord of the Rings is just kind of what I live and breathe. Awesome. I'm... Just before you sort of name dropped uh, Matthew Newman, Nate French, and I was just wondering what it's uh, like to work with those sort of, in our opinion, like legends, you know, uh, legendary designers and Corey Kay and that. What's what's it like working with those guys? And do you have any of your own sort of favorite hero game designers? Sure. Yeah, it is interesting. Like um, my my connection to gaming was probably pretty self absorbed as as coming to it as a kid. Like all I cared about was. Do I like the art? Do I like the game? You know, do I have friends that play? I never really bothered to consider who made it or how much work went into it. You know, yeah. um, I started playing card games with the uh, Middle Earth CCG, the the Wizards game by by Ice. Yeah. Uh, uh, when that first came out, that was my introduction to collectible games, uh, and it was just because I saw Middle Earth on the cover and and some really awesome art images of favorite characters and places and so for me it was a it was a way to explore middle earth more intimately than than reading the page it was like opening up a pack and pulling elrond and being like oh that's what he looks like you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah i actually never i never stopped to consider who was designing any of these games until after working at ffg 
and and getting to meet some of those people. So I, I never really had that starstruck moment where I didn't I didn't know who Corey was. I didn't I know who Nate was because I had his game. His name was on the box, but um, I had only been playing it a short while, so I didn't hadn't really had time to uh, develop any kind of any kind of reverence. I, I will tell you though, having worked with him now for more than five years, I have an immense respect for for Nate and and what he brings to the team, uh, the level of professionalism and and the th- just the thought and the creativity that goes into his designs. Like, and it's not just Nate, you know, it's like, then there's everybody else on the team, including like Matt, who you mentioned and his contributions to Arkham and how he really took his experience from Lord of the Rings and then ported it over and, and, um, you know, uh, helped he and Nate together to, to make Arkham this amazing game. Yeah. So, yeah, it really is. These are great guys to work with, you know, uh, incredibly talented in that. And But I guess I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it, right? Like, I'm just kind of busy trying to make sure that, that the stuff I do doesn't suck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't just walk around with a surprised expression on your face all day. <laughs> Useless to everyone. <laughs> I think I think the closest that I came to, to actually getting, like, really excited about meeting someone was actually, it had to do with the Middle Earth CCG. Um, because Corey uh, was giving someone a tour through the office, and and, th- and this happens on a, on a fairly regular basis. That you know, Corey or Andrew Navarro or Christian or somebody will be giving someone a tour through the office. We have so many partners now with Asmodee, and uh, and then Corey like you know stopped by my desk with this gentleman, which is a little out of the ordinary. Usually they don't make a a point of stopping at my desk. Yeah. But so he introduces me to this gentleman, and I and you know it's like early in the first thing in the morning I'm, I'm not all there yet and I'm just kind of thinking to myself like why is he introducing him to me you know and then he explains you know that this is Coleman Chapman and he designed the Middle Earth CCG and I was like no oh, wow. kidding that's so I you know I, I guess you could say he was kind of a hero of mine but I'd never even known his name until that moment if right. that makes any sense at all like yeah and uh, then you're thrust like, into the moment of actually meeting him in person yeah it, it was sort of like you know, like I said I picked up that game as a kid and, and I, I didn't even bother reading the credits. You know, it never even entered my mind. So it wasn't until Corey introduced me to the designer that I realized the impact that he had had on my life. You yeah. know, and the fact that that game obviously had a big part in leading to me to where I am now. You know, and when you consider that what I do now pays for my house and supports my family, it's a pretty big deal. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So it was really, it was really cool to meet Paulman and, and shake his hand and get a picture with him. And I put it up on Facebook and he was just super, super nice, really cool guy. So that's even better, right? When you, you meet someone who's influenced you and it turns out they're pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it was, was it John Lennon who said you should never meet your idols? <laughs> um, right, right. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's nice to hear that was an exception and, and an exciting moment so so what upcoming games again uh, sort of staying outside of lord of the rings what upcoming games are you most excited about as a player mm, i would say right now the most exciting thing uh the, i'm sorry the thing that i'm most excited about would probably be the uh, the rebellion expansion the um based on the on the rogue one yeah. stuff i don't know if it's on a, like so my my good buddy and i we go all the way back to elementary school and 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 I think he was with me skipping school to go see Star Wars. Um, when Rebellion came out, we played a ton of it, and we just had a lot of fun. And uh, we'd probably play more, except he lives two hours away. Um, 
but so as soon as that got announced, I like I shared it on his Facebook, and I'm like, we got to get together again now because this is this coming out is gonna be a lot of fun. I just I don't know if you had a chance to play, but that game is really thematic. There's a lot of cool story beats and way that you can sort of recreate events in the movie, but with like a twist, you know? Like, yeah, we've we've played Rebellion. It's a it's a sprawling epic epic adventure. It's like a whole evening adventure. Right. Exactly. Yeah, and I, I tend to I tend to be drawn to games that that are like that that are really thematic and engrossing and 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 usually they've got layers of complexity which which allows you to do just kind of crazy things you know where my my friend had like pretty much every plastic piece for the empire on the table <laughs> he was this <laughs> unstoppable force yeah uh, and, but i ended up winning the game because he got got a little he overreached a bit and decided to build a second death star and he and he put it like way over by like dagobah or something and he was like, I don't need, even need to put ships here to defend it because it's so far away from anything that Caleb has. And then I just happened to draw the card that lets me, like, fly my ships from the Rebel base straight to the Death Star, you know, drop out of hyperspace for a right. surprise attack. And I, I was able to, like, blow up his second Death Star to score the last two points I needed to, to win the game. And, and we both just kind of had a good laugh about it. Like, <laughs> so. That's so Star Wars, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. And, and the entire galaxy. The, the, those um, meteor, we call them the meteor games because, you know, it takes, you really have to get stuck in and it takes hours to sort of get through to the conclusion. But you're, you're so invested in the story by that time, you know, that everybody really has such a, an epic and uh, emotional <laughs> tie to the game. Yeah, it's the same way for me in like Twilight Imperium is another game that I really enjoy playing. Um, yeah. You know, not too often because it always takes like eight hours or so. But uh, it's it's a great way to uh, spend the day with a few friends and just you know tell the story of your empire growing over the years and then battling other empires for control of the galaxy. It's just uh, I love that stuff. Yeah, not not for starter players, but certainly they reward the reward uh, the the pros, people who've been playing games for years. Um, yeah, I did get my kids to play a couple of times. That really? Was, How old really, are your kids? Yeah. So uh, my son is 13, my daughter is 12, and then, of course, I got, you know, a uh, little guy is two and, and another on the way. But it was my, you know, my two older kids that played with me. And this was actually, like, a couple of years ago. So they were, like, 10 and 11 at the time. Wow. And, uh, yeah, they got they just got right into it. I mean, my, my son, Nathan, he, he could build spaceships and attack his dad, so he was happy. <laughs> and then my daughter got really into, like, the political aspect of it, like, calling the assembly. She would... She would turn her chair around like it was her podium, and then she would call the assembly to order and read the flavor text in a colorful voice, and then call for the votes. And it was it was lovely. It was it's, a, a real fun. I think it's awesome how much um, you know kids can take on at that age. Their brains are like sponges. Um, I play yeah. with my seven year old boy, and um, we play a few games, and I'm always surprised by the complexity he can take on. And then uh, you know he'll start reminding me about rules as we're in the middle of Zombie Side or uh, Warhammer quest adventure card game and he'll actually remind me oh you, you don't forget your your guy can do this daddy and i'm like oh yeah that's gonna save us and, um <laughs> they are you know they're just uh, they're able to take on so much more than than i guess you expect but um just conscious of time here caleb and i'm just going to wrap up with one final question um is there anything you can tell us about your forthcoming projects is there anything you could sort of give us a sneak peek behind the scenes well of course we can only we can only talk about those things that have been you know announced on our website through our through our marketing team so i i think the most recent we've announced a couple things recently uh of course uh the mountain of fire uh saga box uh has been announced and that's a project that i'm immensely proud of you know it marks the uh 
This is the final one, right? Saga of the saga boxes. Yeah, yes. the, the, the game line. The game line continues. You yeah. know, with the regular, um, you know, uh, products that that the game started with. But this saga thing is something that, you know, um, I can I can remember going out for coffee with Christian Peterson and sort of mapping out the whole saga line together at like a caribou coffee or something like that. Wow. And, and then to be able to, to follow it through to its completion then four years later is, is really great. I mean, to think like a lot of card games don't even live four years. No, it's huge. Like, so we, we really made a roll the dice saying like, yeah, we're we're just going to bank on the fans continuing to love this game and continuing to buy it long enough to, to tell this story in completion and uh, so I'm really excited for, for the fans uh, who have stuck with us for that whole time and, and for the others who are possibly just going to, you know, come in and pick it all up now um, to be able to, to start, you know, in the Black Riders box, you know, start at the Shire as the first location, you know, Bag End, and then finally get all the way to Mount Doom and, and have that, you know, that moment of, of, of Will he or won't he? You know, <laughs> after all this, uh, you know, um, campaign mode, you know, and, and eighteen scenarios, maybe twenty if you're using the, the, you know, the exclusive stuff. Yeah. Will we? Will we succeed? You know, um, I'm very excited for for players to experience that moment. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so that's a big, big deal to me. It's a, it's a big deal for us as well, Caleb. It's um, that's one we've sort of been putting aside as the the saga because we want to just once it's arrived, blitz through the entire campaign. Um, sure, sure. Yeah. yeah, I've kind of been doing the same in a weird way. Like, uh, obviously, I've, I've in, a, in a very real sense, I've played through the whole thing, yeah. except I, I actually haven't had the opportunity to really build one deck, <laughs> you know. One deck and, to rule them all. With, <laughs> yeah, I haven't really been able to to have the true experience uh, because it, it is pretty time-consuming and, and the, the uh, playtesting development schedule is so aggressive that I've mostly just had to simulate, you know, the experience. So they're saying like, oh, well, let's, here's the burdens we got. Here's the boons we got. Let's, let's roll, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm actually in, in a really funny way. I'm excited just like everybody else to, for it to release and then find the time to sit down and play through the whole thing. To ex- experience it in its entirety. Yeah. yeah, and then and then there's a part of me that's afraid that I'll get partway through and be like, why why did I do this here? <laughs> <laughs> it's I a mistake you have to live with. <laughs> yeah. No, actually, I'm I'm pretty confident with that whole saga line. I, I'm I'm very happy with how each individual scenario worked out. That I feel like all 18 scenarios, or again 20, if you've got the old forest and Barrow Downs, like they each have their their unique place and their unique hook and experience and. Yeah, I don't. Uh, that's no small achievement to come up with that many different scenarios, all within a, a vein, um, connected to one another so intimately through boons and burdens and, and stuff like that. It's a staggering achievement, really, uh, Caleb. And it's one of the. Um, it's certainly one of my favorite games of all time. And uh, I think you can see by the fan reaction online, you know, on, on websites like Board Game Geek, where hundreds of, uh, of fans have uploaded their own scenarios and their own adventures and stuff. And it's sort of really captured the imagination of allowing players to live in the world of Middle Earth, but exploring outside of the books and going on these epic adventures to all the different areas um, of Middle Earth. Like you were saying, you're just picking picking the map and choosing where you want to go. Um, but it'll certainly be exciting as well to come back to the books and finish the trilogy and sort of put an end to the, the whole campaign. 
Um, Caleb, yeah. it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you and I'm really grateful for you coming on the show. Hopefully, maybe at some point in the future we could pick up again and see where you're up to and see where your adventures have led to uh, in a future yeah, episode. Absolutely, yeah. And I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show and um, hopefully we'll, we'll catch up with you very soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks thank a lot, you. Caleb.